We're jumping back in um, to Ephesians, right? We've been working through the letter that Paul wrote the church in Ephesus. This is a letter of encouragement to them. And, and just by, by where we've been so far, right? We've, we've got, I think, 10 weeks now into this series, and we've got four more to go as we um, wrap up chapter 6. But we've seen that, that Paul has, has been laying out this, this point to, the, to the, the church in Ephesus and for us that, look, you are blessed beyond measure. God has given you more than you ever dreamed. Exceedingly, abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. He says, God, by the virtue of his own goodness and graciousness through the reality of Jesus Christ on the cross has made you new when you surrender to Jesus. And when you surrender to Jesus, he made you new. He actually moved you from death to life. And you are a new creation with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Right? And in that, he is calling you then to live a life worthy of that which you've been called. And he says to do that, you need to imitate God, to, to live like Jesus to the best of your ability. And listen, right, that's not a cop-out, right? Well, the best of my ability isn't great. Yeah, I get that. But you've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. So you have the ability to live like Jesus. This is Paul's whole point. And when you walk in the Spirit, that means that your life is transformed. And in that, relationships are transformed. And listen, relationships can be hard. All relationships can be hard. Go back to the garden. In Genesis 3, what happened, right? Adam and Eve engaged in sin. They ate the fruit, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't do that. that. That's not metaphorical. That's real. God said, don't. They did. Sin comes in the world. And sin breaks everything including relationships. Sin broke relationships. And since that moment, relationships have been difficult. And you know that. You've got hard relationships. But there are some relationships where there are extra pitfalls. And so Paul has been in his letter taking a little bit of time to, to dig into what does it mean to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in these relationships where there are a few extra pitfalls. And last week he talked to us about marriage. And in marriage, there are some pitfalls. And so he talked to us. You guys are like, why does he keep touching his tongue? Because there's like a hair on it. <laughs> and I know it's gross, but I can't do it. I'm like, just swallow it, Matt. Like, like, just stop making it a deal. But I can't. Anyway. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Really, I am. Like, like I was, listen, I don't even know what I said for the last 30 seconds. Because in my head, I'm having this, this ongoing running dialogue. Like, I can feel it. I can feel it. And then I'm like, just real quick, nobody will notice. But it got weird, and I'm sorry. Yeah, but marriage, there's pitfalls. Okay, so, so I, think, I think hair on your tongue is also a product of the fall. I'm not sure how, but, but it breaks relationships, and marriage is hard, right? We know that, so Paul gives us instructions about what this looks like. But that's not the only hard relationship that we have, 
right? And as we walk in the Spirit, we have to figure these things out too. He's going to talk to us today about parenting, right? Being a child and what it means to honor and obey your parents and being a parent and what it means to discipline well. Um, and, and then he's going to talk about these relationships about uh, masters and servants, like those in charge and those under them and what that's like. And uh, we're going we're gonna to deal with all of this today in chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. I'm going to warn you up front, 5 through 9, we're not going to spend a lot of time on. So if you're more interested in those, you're going to have to tune into the podcast um, when, we, when we do that in, um, a, a week from Tuesday. But we're going to cover it a little bit today. But we're going to focus on the parenting because this is the one that's, that's difficult. And there is a lot at stake when it comes to parenting. Because our kids are ours to steward. God has given us children, if you have them, to steward, to raise them up and to release them um, with, with a couple of things in mind. But the problem is that in, in the world we live in today, um, our kids don't thrive, right, when it comes to learning honor, and obedience. In fact, our kids are kind of, not necessarily our kids, but kids in general in our culture are a little bit out of control. Uh, There there was a a teacher that put it this way, and it's tongue-in-cheek, right? But but you can kind of see the point, right? She's like, as teachers, right, we operate and, and, and we know that we have to answer, right, to the principal. And principals know that what they do, they have to answer to the superintendent, And the superintendent knows that eventually they have to answer to the school board. And the school board knows that eventually they have to answer to parents. And unfortunately, our parents act like they have to answer to kids. And our kids don't answer to anybody. Right? This is this is the problem we've got. Now, again, again, that's an exaggeration, but some of you homeschoolers are like, yeah, we know. That's why we do it the way we do it. Hey, good on you. Right? I get it. Right? But but this is how this works right, is that kids kind of, to a degree, are out of control. And what happens is we as a culture, even as Christian parents, we tend to, Philip even said, hey, it works. And I'm like, okay, but it it won't. (laughs) Listen, there is absolute disaster brewing when children are allowed to make their own way. And right now I'm going to say that, and some of you are going to think, no, that's not true, Matt. That's false. Children need to be allowed to make their own way. I'm going to say the problem is that we have to train them up so that when they're older, they can make their own way. But when we try to release them to make their own way when they're younger, the Bible tells us that foolishness comes from that. Right? Because the reality is, when they're younger, they're just not wise enough yet. Right? Proverbs says it this way, there's a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that seems like a good way to go, but in the end, it leads to death. It doesn't work. And the problem is this. The problem is this. We think we're doing our kids um, a justice by allowing them to kind of go where they want to go, right? Because it seems like a good idea to them. But the problem is they they aren't wise enough yet. Our kids are still foolish 
until they've been trained up right. So we're going to deal with all of this as we get into the first four verses in Ephesians specifically, right? But, but as we do, I want to remind you of this, and this is the point. As a parent, your number one goal is to raise kids that love Jesus more than they love anything else in their life. This is how you as a parent are successful. I want them to move out of your house. You want them to move out of your house. You want them to get good jobs. You want them to get married if that's what they choose to do. You want them to have children if that's what they choose to do. You want them all to come home for Thanksgiving and to sit around the table and it'll be awesome. And we all want that, right? But how you win at parenting as a Christian, how you win is to raise children that love Jesus more than anything else. That's our job, right? And to that end, Paul gives us instructions about what that looks like. So let's read this together, Ephesians 6. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there's a few things for us to dig in there. Okay, first is simply this. Children are called to obey and honor their parents. Now, this is just as a side note. Some of you um, are adults and you have parents that still think you ought to be obeying them. Don't look at them if they're here (laughs) because that's awkward. Let me look at them. Here's the deal, right? There is a point in time where, where our responsibility to our parents shifts. We never, listen to me, you never, I don't, and some of you are like, Matt, but you don't know my parents. I know, I get it, right? But you are never in a position to not be honorable towards your parents. You are called to do that, period, right? The the reality is there's a certain point in time where obedience to your parents becomes not the goal, right? When you are, uh, especially if you're getting married, right, you leave your father and mother, and you cleave to your spouse, and you become one flesh. You no longer answer to someone else, but you're here. But but even then, when you are financially independent, right? I'm not talking about going off to college. You go off to college, and your parents are paying for your college. You still answer to them, right? You still answer to them. But once they become independent, obedience isn't the key. And some parents, I know some parents, you still expect obedience from your kids. And when they don't give it, you get angry. Listen, what's happened there is, is you've forgotten what your goal was. Your goal was to raise kids that love Jesus more than they love anything else and, and to release them so that they can go do that, not hold them in. But as adult children, when we honor our parents, there's a couple things we do, right? One is we hear them. We don't always have to agree with them, but we can hear them. Two, sometimes we have to offer them forgiveness. You may have parents, you as an adult child, you may have parents that hurt you emotionally, sometimes physically, sometimes in other ways that that have no business happening. But listen, a way that you honor this command that God gives is to forgive when people hurt you, when your parents hurt you. Now, does it mean that you have continued relationships with them? Not always. Does it mean that you put yourself in a position to be hurt again? No, not. That's not what God's saying here. But we do need to forgive. 
we need to forgive for our own benefit, and we need to forgive as a way to honor. And that's a tall, tall order. But I, I just, I want to I linger here for just a second to tell you that if, if you struggle with this, this is a good time for you to say, you know what, I need some extra help. I really struggle to honor my adult parents. And if you can say, I really struggle to honor my adult parents, and that's really a hard thing for you, this is time for you to get some extra help. Because this isn't a command, right, that's optional. It's a command that's a command. Children, honor your parents. Now that doesn't mean that you have to obey everything that your adult parents tell you. It doesn't mean that you need to run when they tell you to run. It doesn't mean when they say, hey, I need you here every Thursday afternoon, that you get there every Thursday afternoon. It does mean, though, that you forgive them for their mistakes and that you value them. And, and if, if that's a struggle for you, we can talk more about that and we can figure out some resources and some ways to help you move in that, right? But, but don't let that go. But the text here specifically is dealing with kids that are under our authority. They're in our home, right? So children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That obedience, right, has, has three things in mind. It's that I, I hear it, I listen to it, and then I act accordingly, right? That's, that's what obedience means at its core. It's not just that I, that I hear you, right? It's not even just that I act, but, but that I hear you and, and that it does something like, like internally, I submit to it, and then I act accordingly. And that's what children are called to do. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's right, Honor your father and mother. And then he says this, it's the first commandment with a promise. Here's what he means by that. Go back to Exodus. When the Israelites have left Egypt and they come to the mountain and Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God and he receives the 10 commandments. He receives the 10 commandments and, uh, and, and other moral laws and religious laws and he gives them to the people. The fifth commandment is children honor your parents, honor your mother and father. And it does come with a promise, right? This is why Paul says, this is a big deal, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for it's right. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. When God gave the 10 commandments, this is the commandment that comes with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, then here's what he says. It will go well with you, right? You will live long in the land that I'm promising you. And this gets really confusing to us sometimes because we look at this and we're like, I know plenty of people who have honored their father and mother and it didn't go well for them. Their father and mother were not awesome, right? Or they didn't live long in the land or they didn't live to, to long life. And so why, why is God tell us this promise when it doesn't work? And one of the reasons that we have to understand this is because this is one of the weird things in the Bible where the Bible is definitely for you, but it wasn't written to you, right? So the Bible is for you, but it wasn't written to you and to your context. This is one of the things that I, that I struggle with this most when we do Bible studies and people ask me this question, or sometimes I even ask this question, and then I'm like, why did you ask that question? It's not a great question, because we, we ask this all the time. We're like, well, read that passage of scripture. What does it mean to you? What does that passage of scripture mean to you? And I decide what it means to me. 
But that is absolutely not the way that we are to read the Bible. Listen, it doesn't matter what it means to you. What matters is what God intended it to mean. Right? And so we read this passage of Scripture, oh, honor your mother and father, and it will go well with you, and you'll have long life. And what does it mean to me? Well, it means if I do what my parents say, that everything is going to be awesome. No, but that's not what God intends it to mean. Right? So it's written to you, but it's not written to your context. When this is written, this is written to Israel before they're getting ready to enter into the land. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land that God has promised them. He's like, listen, I told Abraham a long time ago that when he set foot here, I'm like, you are a stranger in this land, but I will make this yours. This will be your nation. This will be your home. And here we are so many generations later, and, and God has brought all of the people here to the foot of the mountain. And he says, here's the commandments. Here is the law. Here is the moral law. Here's the religious law. This is what we're going to do. And if you will honor your father and mother, then when you get to the land, you will live there a long time and you will thrive. But he's not talking to them as individuals, right? In that context, he's talking to them as, as a nation. And, and here's his intention, right? Like if you honor your father and mother, right? If you do that, right? And you teach your children to honor you, then generationally this will continue because they will honor you and they will teach their children to honor them. And then those children will honor their parents and teach their children to honor. And then you will live long in the land that I am putting you in right? Because part of honoring parents is honoring the parents who know that their number one job is to teach you to love Jesus more than we love anything else. You're like, Matt, if we honor our parents and we teach our children to honor, is that a guarantee that life will be easy for them? Right? That, that they'll prosper. It's a command with a promise that it'll go well with them. No. It's a promise, though, if you teach them to honor and obey as you have honored and obeyed, here's what it's a promise. It's a promise that God will be with you as you try to pull off, right, your number one responsibility as a parent, which is to teach your children to love Jesus more than they love anything else. Because as they honor and obey you, that's a precursor for them honoring and obeying Jesus. And we'll see how that lays out. But, but here's, here's the thing. We're called to honor and we're called to obey. And it's difficult because anytime God promises something, Satan will oppose it. Anytime God makes a promise, Satan will oppose it. And so God has promised that if you will teach your children to honor and obey, right? Because we read this like it's for children, right? Like children, obey your parents in the Lord. And, and it is, it's to children. So listen, children, listen right here. If you're not downstairs, obey your parents in the Lord for it is right. And we will talk about this later. She's like, man, can I go downstairs? I get it. I'm sorry. But here's the thing, right? So we, we talk about this like it's for children, but really this is for us as adults because this is on us. Why do children honor and obey parents? Because we insist on it. If we don't insist on it, they won't do it. Why? Because they're foolish. And there's a way that seems right to them. And if you think back to when you were a kid, how many times did you assume that you knew better than your parents? 
How many times did you assume that they were trying to hold you back from something that was going to be good, right? But really all they were trying to do was steer you in the right direction. Honor and obedience happens when we insist on it so that it'll go well with them. And it's important that we understand how this works in the family, right? The reason this is so critical in the family is because the family, right, this is ground zero for what God wants to accomplish in Israel. He says, I'm sending you into the land, right? And if you get the family right, then generationally you will do this and it will go well and you'll live long in the land. Well, it's no different for us, right? Paul says, I'm repeating this to you. Teach your children this, to honor and obey. Why? Well, because this is ground zero for what God wants to accomplish. Think about what happens in your family. Think about when we do this well, what this teaches children, right? The family is where we learn to fight fairly. The family is where we learn how to struggle, right? The family is where we learn what it means to honor somebody above us. That happens in a family. The family is where we learn to obey and what it means to risk, and what it means to submit. The family is this covenant community where, where worship and learning happen inside this context of unconditional love. The family is where the gospel happens over and over and over again as you teach kids to honor and obey. It's all the family is, right? That's all, that's all discipline is. Discipline is this opportunity for the gospel to be lived out over and over and over again. Kids are called to obey. Invariably, they struggle and they'll fail. And we bring discipline, but we also bring grace and forgiveness. And in all of that, our right relationship with them is not broken because it's unconditional. And so they learn that even when they've made a mistake, that when they confess that, we are there to forgive and hold on to them. The family is where the gospel happens over and over and over again as we teach kids to honor and obey. You're like, well, okay, Matt, how do we do that? How do we teach them how to honor and obey? Well, Paul answers, so don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction. How do we teach kids to honor and obey? Well, we discipline. We discipline carefully. Right? We discipline carefully because we can't provoke them to anger in our discipline because then we're not relaying what the gospel is. But we can't just let it go either because if we let it go, then we're telling kids they can go their own way. And there's a way that seems right to all of us, but in the end it leads to death. And so we have to be careful about this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's really two schools of thought when it comes to parenting. One, to some of you, will sound like it's exactly the right way. The other one, to some of you, will sound like it's exactly the right way. And the reality is both of them are foolish. The first one is this dictatorial kind of a way, where as parents, we decide that it is our job to, at all costs, get obedience, Right? And so in this, we quash dissent. We quash questioning. We want everyone to do exactly as they are told. And so our kids learn really early on that they best do what they're told or else. So in that model, there is a lot of obedience as long as they perceive me having the control. The problem with this, 
even though on the surface it can look like they're doing right, it can look like they're getting it because that family looks good outside of the home, right? Kids are always obedient. They're always following the rules. They're always doing what they're told to do. The problem is they're doing it because they're scared. They're doing it because they know that questioning is tantamount to rebellion. They're not doing it because they've ever made it their own. What do you suppose happens to those kids as soon as they leave the house? They rebel. When I went to college, I've probably told you this story before, but when I went to college, my my first roommate, he lasted five weeks. His name was Jim Carrey. Not that guy. (laughs) But his name was Jim Carrey. Good guy, I assume. We didn't really get to know each other. It was five weeks. But Jim had learned to walk a line with his parents. And he didn't step out. He didn't question, right? Because he learned the hard way early on that he must do what he was told to do. Otherwise, it was not going to go well and it was going to be harsh. And then Jim got to college and that authority was gone. That structure was not over him every day. And Jim went bananas. He found freedom wherever he could find it. He experimented with anything he could find to experiment with and ultimately found himself in jail and out of school five weeks in. It's a long story. Actually, it's a pretty short story. I'll tell you later, but, but um, if you want to know. But, but it didn't go well because what happened is as soon as that structure was away from him, he rebelled. Listen, this happens in the church all the time, right? We have our kids, they show up, they do what they're supposed to do. They go to youth group, they participate, everything. They leave. And then what happens? They're done, right? They did all that because they were told to do all that. and, and, And then they're just done. But then on the other side of the spectrum, we have this, this, basically this freedom hands off style of parenting. Right? Where, where we don't really like to tell our kids what to do. We certainly don't like to tell them no. And we never, right? We, we never want to discipline, right? And so, so we're on this side of, of the spectrum. And you know what? We like to think of ourselves more as guidance. If they ask us, we'll tell them. If they don't ask us, we're not giving input, right? And if we see them doing some things that aren't quite right, yeah, you know, we'll worry about it. We'll fret about it. But we don't really want to intervene, because we, we just want them to kind of go their own way. And, and here's what happens with that one too, right? When they do get in trouble, parents that are on this end of the spectrum, guess what we do? We don't bring discipline, right? We make excuses. We figure out what's the answer for why they did that thing that they shouldn't have done, right? Because it's not because they just were, were being rebellious and foolish children. It's because something was over here and it didn't work. And so we kind of go this way. Or if we do give consequences, we certainly aren't planning to follow up with them, right? And so we've got these two ends of the spectrum. Well, what happens is these kids leave the home and, and they're the center of their universe. They don't answer to anybody. They've never had to, and they don't think they should have to start now. And that's not about them answering to a boss or answering to a teacher or answering to somebody else. That's about this vertical relationship of obedience, Right? As parents, we insist that our kids be obedient. Why? Because we are their first picture. We are their first picture of God. 
Your parents aren't God, but they're your first picture of ultimate authority. So here's what this means. As your children learn to submit to you, they are practicing their submission and obedience and honor towards God. That's what it means that you are a steward of them. God has said, I am in charge of them, but while they are young and in this mode, I am putting you parents in place to steward them, to teach them what it means to honor and obey me. Remember this conversation I had with Riley back when she was 16, maybe 17, but it was, it was getting late um, in the game for this because by 16 or 17, you're hoping to be releasing them, right? To be giving them more and more freedom. That's what you hope, right? You hope that, they've, that, that this has happened well enough that you're giving them more and more freedom. But with Riley, when she was 16, 17, I remember we were having this conversation because she was just being blatantly disobedient. It was like, look, look, our time is running short, Right, But if you can't figure out how you're supposed to obey us, then how in the world are you going to leave our home and, and know that you have to obey and submit to God when you don't like his instructions and when you don't like his commands? We've got to learn this now when they're still with us. We are that for our kids. God has asked us to steward them. When you discipline well, you are actually instructing them on God's behalf to what it means to honor and obey. If you don't do that, then when they leave your home, why do we assume that magic will happen and all of a sudden they will know how to honor and obey God? And if they leave your home without knowing how to honor and obey God, then we're failing in our number one goal and priority of raising children that love Jesus more than they love anything else. This is what Paul says. Paul's laying this out for us, right? He's laying this out. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in this relationship, right, this means that you're learning honor and obedience in this way. Fathers, mothers, right, don't, don't exacerbate your children. Don't provoke them to anger because what happens if you provoke them to anger, right? If all you ever do is provoke them to anger, then when the time comes for them to leave the home, they don't want anything that you had to teach them. They don't want any of that. They're just going to walk away from all of it because it didn't work. But gently discipline and instruct and raise them up to understand, right, what it means to honor and obey the Lord. When you do that, we're raising kids that love Jesus more than they love anything else. And, right, we're learning how it is to walk in the Holy Spirit in these relationships. Okay. Now, couple of things I want to say about discipline. Discipline has a purpose, right? First thing that discipline is supposed to do is it's supposed to drive out folly. Remember, folly here is rebellion, not a mistake. We don't discipline kids because um, they make a mistake. We all make mistakes. We discipline kids because of rebellion, right? Um, if, if, you're sitting at the dinner table and somebody reaches for a napkin and in reaching for a napkin, they knock over their milk, right? We might be frustrated at that. We might say like, be more careful. You got to clean it up. You made a mess. We got to clean it up. But we're not grounding them because they spilled their milk, right? That's, that's a mistake. It's not rebellion. We want to be careful. Now, if they spill their milk because they're trying to stand it on one finger, I know a guy that maybe used to try to do that. 
We can, we can discipline for that because that's rebellion, right? Like, don't try to hole up your milk with one finger. And then it spills, and I'm like, oh, it's an accident. No, it wasn't an accident. I was doing it rebelliously. Okay, but we discipline to drive out folly. Proverbs 22:15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away, right? We're not driving, up, driving out mistakes. We will all make mistakes. We're driving out rebellion. That's what folly means here. It means rebellion. Discipline is meant to drive out rebellion. That's why we don't laugh at our kids when they do something disobedient when they're younger, just because it's cute, because it is. And you know it and I know it, right? They do something wrong, and instead of disciplining, we kind of chuckle at it, right? But it's rebellion, and we're supposed to drive it out. It's why we don't make excuses when our teenagers do, do things we know are wrong, and we don't take it easy on them, because, oh, well, they're just, you know, it's tough to be a kid. No. We drive out folly. Discipline is supposed to bring peace in the home. Sin is chaos. Folly is disruption. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. Discipline brings peace to them and it brings peace to you. Right? Here, here's the thing about discipline. Discipline actually leads to freedom. We discipline our 17-year-olds so that we don't have to discipline our 18-year-olds because they've left our home. We discipline them when they're young so that every step along the way, we can increase the freedom they enjoy. Discipline leads to freedom. Discipline leads to self-discipline. We can't expect kids to have self-discipline unless we teach them discipline. We discipline them so that it will go well with them. This is all about common sense, right? My son, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Listen to me. When you discipline your children, you grow them in something called common sense. When you dabble in sin, it ruins. And finally, discipline brings hope. Discipline your children, for in that there's hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. There's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. Ultimately, we need people that leave our homes. We need our children We love them dearly. They've been given to us to steward. We care about them more than we care about anything else. I know how you feel about your children. I know how you feel about your grandchildren. I get it, right? You love them more than you love yourself. You want to pour out for them, and you desperately want to see them have good. Well, that means that you must discipline them because hell is real. Hell is real, and and we don't want them going that way. Ultimately, discipline is love. It's why God disciplines us. It's why he convicts us of sin. He sees us walking the road to destruction, and he is disciplining us to move us off of that road so that we will choose the cross and choose life instead. It's what we do for our kids. We discipline to save them and to bring them hope, and we do it out of love. 
All right, now, real quickly, because you're looking at the clock and we still have four more verses to get through, um, but I want to deal with these. And I told you, we're going to just kind of go over these quickly. This is about servants and masters, bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service or as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond servant or free. That is a lot of words. Here's basically what it's saying. When you find yourself in a subservient position with someone over you, when you find yourself in that position, work hard. Serve well. Not just lip service, right? Not just going through the motions, not just figuring out what's in it for you and not just thinking about how you might get promoted, right? But you work hard, right? Why? Because ultimately you have this perspective. I'm not working for you. I'm working for God. And so I'm going to work hard as if I'm working to the Lord, knowing that whatever good I do, God sees it and he will reward me, no matter what position I'm in. And Paul says, oh, okay, and and those of you that are masters, those of you that are in charge, do the same. Treat people well and work hard as unto the Lord. Stop your threatening And here's why you stop your threatening, because you know that he who is both the master, he is their master and yours is in heaven, and that he doesn't like you more because you're in charge. This is basically what Paul says. Paul says to the servants, work hard as if you're working for the Lord. Work for your master as if you're working for the Lord. Why? Because that gives God a good reputation, and God will see that and reward it. And then he says to masters, those in charge, hey, Stop being a jerk to the people under you, right? Because they're working for me, and guess what? You work for me too. And I don't like you better because you're in charge. In fact, those that are in charge, what does Jesus tell us? To whom much is given, much is going to be expected, right? So he gives this stern warning. And we're going to talk more about, we'll, we'll get into this idea of bond servants and slaves and masters and, and, and we'll dig into this more in the podcast, like I said, a week from Tuesday. So if you're interested to go deeper in that, you can always get on the website and check that out. But I wanted to focus today specifically on the relationship uh, of children and parents and what it means to walk in the spirit that way. And so as we end, I'm going to ask Pastor David to come back up and he's going to close us out. Um, pray for us. But, but here, here's my last thing that I want to encourage you as parents. If this is hard for you, if it's hard for you to discipline your children, even if they're out of your house, but they're still young enough, right? Or even if you're trying to figure out how to encourage your adult children in these things, or if you've got people that have left your house and you know what? They're adults now and loving Jesus more than they love anything else isn't their priority. What am I supposed to do about that? I had my time with them. I didn't do it as well as I'd hoped to. They didn't receive it as well as I'd hoped. And now they're gone. How do I do this? Right? There are some things we can do. And the first is look at yourself. Are there some changes you need to make in the way that you're approaching it? Study the scriptures, especially Proverbs, when it comes to this. Befriend and empower good parents. Here's what I mean by that. At at the same stage of life that you are in, befriend and empower good parents. You go up to them and you say, look, right? 
man, Kevin Hessen. I don't know. He's downstairs, so I can talk about him. Like, Kevin Hessen, I don't know what magic you had. Well, I know what magic he had. He taught his children to obey and respect and honor and whatever. But I don't know what magic you had, but I look at your adult kids, and, and except for Nicole, by and large, they are rocking it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right? By and large, they are rocking it. So, so here's the question, right? Help me. Pray for me. Encourage me. And here's the thing. Not just befriend them and ask them, but empower them. Give them permission. Tell me what you see in my life. Tell me what you see in my interactions with my kids. I'm giving you permission to say hard things to me if you think I need to hear them. Right? Have that dialogue and that conversation. Pray frequently for your kids. Should, that should be a, at least a daily experience. I go back to this. One of my favorite small groups that, that I've ever been a part of was the small group where we just prayed for each other's kids. And persevere. I don't care how old they are. Do not quit. Don't quit. I'm going to pray for us. Pastor David's going to come up and he'll close us out. Heavenly Father, God, you are good, gracious, and kind, and we love you. Whether we have kids, whether we might have them in the future, whether we are kids trying to figure out what it looks like to obey and submit and why that matters, right? If, if, if we're grandparents that are worried about our grandkids or our adult children, whatever it is, God, we know that, that we know that, that you've provided wisdom for us to navigate this. And Father, we want to honor you with that as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not something we can do on our own, but something we can do because you have given us your spirit to help us do this well. So Father, show us, guide us, convict us, and move us in the way that we should go. We love you and praise you. Amen. Amen. So as we prepare to leave and, and you know, as Pastor Matt was sharing all that, the whole time I was sitting over there, all that kept going through my mind was... Um, I still don't understand why God trusted me with kids in the first place. It's literally what I thought. I, I thought it when we were at the hospital. When they told us we could leave, I looked at Libby, and I'm like, you're sending me home with her. Like, you trust me with this life. And I'm not joking. I was scared to death. Um, and I'm scared to death every single day because here's the thing. She's going to be 12. I've never had a 12-year-old. I don't know what to do with her. Okay. Um, maybe some of us feel the same way as we heard this. You were encouraged by it. You're like, yes. But then at the same time, you're like, man, I'm going to fail miserably. Every, when I look at me, that's what I think. So I want to close just by reading um, a prayer that is actually at the end of Jude. Um, if you, if you want to look at it, to remind us that it's not about us. So I just want to pray this over us. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.